Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast called More, where we are looking and trying to find more patience, more determination when things get challenging, more faith, more hope, and more of anything that you're looking for to find the best things that life has to offer. I'm so excited about my more core, my core of people that want more, and I just want to thank all of you. And a special shout out to all my students. I love the students that I teach. They're an amazing, amazing group of kids who are really out there making life, hap- life happen for themselves. It's the middle of May, and we are winding down to the last couple of weeks of school, and I can honestly say that I am going to miss these kids. And of all the kids that I teach, they're just incredible, good people who are out there really, really contributing to society and I couldn't be more grateful to have the greatest job in the world. I hope all of you will share the podcast, share it with anybody, anybody who's looking for something to um, improve their life and help them find ways to use their time. We have a lot of social media in our lives today, and I would like to have this to be something that they can use to replace a lot of the social media that's tearing us down. This is something that we can listen to when we're cleaning our room and when we're in their car, when we're getting ready for our day, when we're settling down at night, when we have some stress and anxiety. This is something that we can use to replace the negative with positive. So let's get started today. I'm super, super excited about um, these next um, eight or nine podcasts, maybe a few more. We're going to go through One of my absolutely most favorite books called The Greatest Salesman in the World. I landed upon this book sometime in my late high school, early college years, and I absolutely love it. Ogmandino wrote it. I think I've written every book that Ogmandino has written. He is an amazing author, and we're going to talk about his best-selling book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. And that, that book has had 36 million copies sold around the world in 26 languages. So I can tell you that this book has some power in it, and I hope you're excited about it. We're going to start out talking about the book, and then we'll go into some of the great things that can be learned from this book. So the book's all about a man named Hafid, and Hafid was starting to get in his older years, and he even comments in the book, only the eyes have retained their youth. I'm going to read parts of the book, and I'm going to tell parts of the story as we go through this short novel. Hafid was a very, very rich man, and in the book it says, tortoise shell gleamed from couches and divans and the walls inlaid with gems shimmered with brocades of the most painstaking design. Huge palms grew placidly in bronze vessels, framing a fountain of alabaster nymphs, while flower boxes encrusted with gems 
competed with their contents for attention, no visitor to Hafid's palace could doubt that he was, indeed, a person of great wealth. And here he's talking to his chief bookkeeper, his number one man, Erasmus. And they're having a conversation, and it goes on to say there were wools, fine linens, parchment, honey, carpets, and oil from Asia Minor, glass figs, nuts, and balsam from his own country, textiles and drugs from Palmyra, ginger, cinnamon, and precious stones from Arabia, corn, paper, granite, alabaster, and basalt from Egypt, tapestries from Babylon, paintings from Rome, and statues from Greece. The smell of balsam was heavy in the air, and Hafid's sensitive old nose detected the presence of sweet plums, apples, cheese, and ginger. So these this part of the story kind of helps you see that how rich he was and kind of helps you get a feel for the time. It was way back in the days of, of Jesus and and it helps you feel how how what the place was like and gets you a feeling of the the environment they were in. And he turns to Erasmus and he says, "Old friend, how much wealth is there now accumulated in our treasury?" And Erasmus says, "Everything, master? Everything. I've not studied the numbers recently, but I would estimate that there's in excess of 7 million gold talents." And were all the go- goods in my warehouses and emporiums converted into gold, how much would they bring? Well, sir, our inventory is not yet complete for this season, but I would calculate a minimum of another three million talents. Half a nodded. Purchase no more goods. Institute immediately whatever plans are required to sell everything that is mine and convert all of it to gold. And Erasmus basically says, what do you mean, sir? I don't get it. This has been our most pop- profitable year. And Hafid goes on to say to him, My trusted comrade, is your memory of sufficient strength to recall the first command you received from me when you entered my employ many years ago? Erasmus frowned momentarily and then his face brightened. I was enjoined by you to remove each year half the profit from our treasury and dispense it to the poor. Did you not at that time consider me a foolish man of business, Erasmus? I had great forebodings, sire. Half had nodded and spread his arms toward the loading platforms. Will you now admit that your concern was without ground? Yes, sire. So at that point, Erasmus is reminded of many, many years ago how Half had told him, hey, everything that we make, we're going to give half to the poor. And you thought I was kind of crazy then, but look at what we have now. So then Halford goes on to explain, hey, I'm getting old. My wife has died. My my wife is named Leisha. She's died. Um, Halford's wife, Leisha. And he tells him what to do with all of the riches. And basically, he's going to get rid of everything. Everybody that is employed by Halford is going to be taken care of and including Erasmus himself. And and uh, Halford leaves strict instructions of what to do with everything. And then Halford says, I beg that you re- remain with me until a promise I made long ago is fulfilled. When that promise is kept, 
I will then bequeath this palace and warehouse to you, for then I will be ready to rejoin Lisha. I will meet with you again when you have discharged my commands of this morning, and then I will disclose a secret which I have shared with no one except my beloved wife of 30 years. So Erasmus does exactly what his master says to do. He traded and sold all of the riches that he had, that that half had had. And it took some time, and eventually everything was done, and the most powerful trade empire of its time was no more. And his heart was heavy with sadness, and Erasmus sent word to his master that the warehouse was now empty and that the emporiums were no longer they no longer bore the proud banner of Hafid. After Erasmus reported having done all that, Hafid beckoned him into a room that no one had been in for over three decades, and the room was bare except for a small cedar chest. And Hafid says, Are you not disappointed, Erasmus? And Erasmus says, it is true. There's been a lot of talk about the rumors throughout the years of what you've kept hidden here in this tower. A lot of people felt that there were like barrels of diamonds and gold in here. But there's nothing inside but a trunk. And inside the trunk were scrolls, leather scrolls. And then Hafid tells Erasmus, were this room filled to its beams with diamonds, its value could not surpass what your eyes behold in this simple wooden box. All the success, happiness, love, peace of mind, and wealth that I have enjoyed is directly traceable to what is contained in these few scrolls. My debt to them and to the wise one who entrusted them to my care can never be repaid. So Erasmus says, what's written on these scrolls that places their value beyond that of diamonds? And Hafid says, when one masters the principles one has that are written on these scrolls, one has the power to accumulate all the wealth that um, he desires. So Erasmus says to him, well, why have you kept all these principles to yourself for all these years? I mean, you've been so generous with all the people that you work have have worked for you and all the people that are around you you've given half of all you have to the poor and literally half had treated everyone that he was around so generously so erasmus is so confused why have you not shared this and Hafid says i had no choice many years ago when these scrolls were entrusted to my care i was made to promise under oath that um, I would share their contents with only one person. I don't yet understand the reasoning behind this strange request. However, I was commanded to apply the principles of the scrolls to my own life until one day someone would appear who had need for the help and guidance contained in these scrolls far more than I did when I was a youth. I was told that through some sign I would recognize the individual to whom I was to pass the scrolls, even though it was possible that the individual would not know that he was seeking the scroll. With their knowledge, I became what many call the greatest salesman in the world, just as he who bequeathed these scrolls to me was then acclaimed as the greatest salesman of his time. So Erasmus says, 
Do you still believe that he who is to receive these scrolls from thee will appear after all this time? And Hafid says, Yes. And Erasmus, will you stay with me until that day? The bookkeeper, Erasmus, reached through the soft light until their hands clasped. He nodded once and then withdrew from the room, as if from an unspoken command from his master. Hafid replaced the leather strapping on the chest and then stood and walked to a small turret. He stepped through it out onto the scaffold that surrounded the great dome. A wind from the east blew into the old man's face, carrying with it the smell of the lakes and desert beyond. He smiled as he stood high above the rooftops of Damascus, and his thoughts leaped backwards through time. And now we leap back in time as Hafid recalls an experience in his youth. It was winter and the chill was bitter on the Mount of Olives. From Jerusalem, across the narrow cleft of the Kidron Valley, came the smell of smoke, incense, and burning flesh from the temple, and its foulness mixed with the turpentine order of terebinth trees on the mountain. And there was a long row of silent tents. And there was a boy, a young boy, and a man named Pathros. And they were in one of the tents. And Pathros said, Hafid, you have always been as my own. I am perplexed and puzzled by your strange request. Are you not content with your work? And Hafid says, No, sir. It is my desire to become a seller of your goods instead of only your camel boy. It has been repeated throughout the land that you are a great salesman. The world has never seen a trade empire such as you have built through your mastery of salesmanship. My ambition is to become even greater than you, the greatest merchant, the wealthiest man, and the greatest salesman in all the world. And Pathos says to him, And what are you going to do with all this great wealth? I will do as you do. My family will be provided with the finest of worldly goods, and the rest I will share with those in need. And Pathros says to him, No, my son. Do not aspire for wealth and labor, not only to be rich. Strive instead for happiness, to be loved and to love, and most important, to acquire peace of mind and serenity. And then Pathros says to Hafid, What's caused this sudden outburst of ambition? And Hafid kind of stumbles through the words, and he says, I, I met the daughter of Kalna, she, she, and Pathos says, Ah, I see, Kalna. Yeah, he's a very wealthy man. His daughter and a camel boy? Never. But his daughter and a rich, young, and handsome merchant? Ah, that is another matter. Very well, my young soldier. I will help you begin your career as a salesman. But you must still prove that there is more behind your words than air. First, you must prove to me, said Pathos, and more important to yourself, that you can endure the life of a salesman, for it's not an easy lot that you've chosen. Truly, many times you've heard me say that the rewards are great if one succeeds, but the rewards are great only because so few succeed. Many succumb to despair and fail without realizing that they already possess all the tools needed to acquire great wealth. Many others face each obstacle in their path with fear and doubt and consider them as enemies, when in truth these obstructions are friends and helpers. 
obstacles are necessary for success because in selling, as in all careers of importance, victory comes only after many struggles and countless defeats. Yet each struggle, each defeat sharpens your skills and strengthens your courage and your endurance, your ability and your confidence and thus, thus each obstacle is a comrade in arms forcing you to become better or quit. Each rebuff is an opportunity to move forward, turn away from them, avoid them, and you throw away your future. So I just want to break away from the story for just a second to talk a little bit about what this says here, because obstacles that come in our path are only there to make us stronger. And especially if we use those obstacles as stepping stones to recognize things that we are doing wrong and things that we could improve on, that's really how we grow. And life is not set out with a red carpet where everything's going to be easy. Everybody has challenges. And I love this story, and I tell this to my students a lot. I love the story about the little, the little chick in an egg. So the little chick needs to hatch out of the egg. So little by little, <clears throat> little by little, it pecks away at the shell surrounding surrounding it and it pecks and it pecks and it pecks and it takes time but with every peck of the shell he breaks little by little of the shell until the little chick is free of the egg however if we were to go in and break the shell for the little chick break the egg away and help it then it wouldn't grow strong and the little chick would actually die and so we need to look at the challenges and the things that come our way that are difficult. We need to look at those as opportunities for growth and recognize that this too will pass and to hold on and that um, it'll pass and the hard times will go and we just keep working at it and learning from those things. And those things are there to strengthen us. And so I really think that this is an important concept in the book. And so he, um, Hafid learns this from Pathros and then Pathros goes on to tell him about how difficult the job is and that it's going to be hard and that it's going to be lonely and no one's going to be there to console you or, or help you when times gets, time gets hard. And so Hafid says, that's okay. I want to do it. Let's start. How do I begin? So Pathros says in the morning, you are to report to Silvio at the baggage wagons. He will release in your charge one of our finest seamless robes. It is woven from the hair of a goat and will withstand even the heaviest rains, and it is dyed red from the roots of the matter plant, so that the color will always hold fast. And then he, he's going to tell him a little bit about the robe, and this is a really important part of the story. Near the hem, you will find sewn on the inside a small star. This is the mark of Tola whose guild makes the finest robes in all the world. Next to the star is my mark, a circle within a square. Both these marks are known and respected throughout the land, and we have sold countless thousands of these robes. And then he tells them that he's going to charge, he's going to charge him one silver denarius against his name for the cost of the robe, and that he can go out and sell the robe for whatever price he chooses and keep, he can keep anything extra beyond the silver denarius as his um, pay for, for selling the robe. 
And then Pathros tells him, hey, I'm not going to replace you as my camel boy. Um, let's see what happens when you're out there in the sales world. And if you do not come back with being successful, I totally understand. He says, never feel shame for trying and failing. For he who has never failed is he who has never tried. And I want to break away again for just a minute and... The quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You know, let's just think about this a little bit. What's on your bucket list? Did you write the 30 things down? What do you want to do? What are you going to try? And if you haven't done it, why not? Because you're going to miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So half it's, it's scary. It's going to be lonely. But he's going to go out and do it. And that's really where change happens is when we say, I am going to do something that I'm scared to do. I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to just, it's not going to just be lip service. So that's where I am with the podcast. It's not lip service anymore. I'm actually doing it. And then Pathros goes on to say, failure will never overtake you if your determination to succeed is strong enough. And he says to Hafid, do you really understand the full meaning of my words? And Hafid says, yes, sire. Then repeat them to me. And Hafid says, failure will never overtake me if my determination to succeed is strong enough. And I want you to put that in your mind and memorize it. Failure will never overtake me if my determination to succeed is strong enough. That is the key. Your determination to succeed has to be there. You cannot give up when times get hard, as Hafid has been instructed by Pathros. Okay, so on in the story where Hafid is on his fourth day in Bethlehem, and he's getting discouraged because nothing's happened. And he says, why will the people not listen to my story? How How does one command their attention? Why do they close their door before I've said five words? Why do they lose interest in my talk and walk away? And he shook his head in disgust at his failure. And he started thinking, maybe I should remain just a camel boy. And then his thoughts turned to Lisha and her stern father, father, Kalna. And he, by thinking of Lisha, he was determined to try again. And he was not going to give up. And he he became determined and he departed from the inn where he was discouraged and headed back out to try one more try again. And he tells himself that Pathros is going to be proud of him because he didn't give up when the times got difficult. And it's drawing night and the air's chilly and he decides he's going to rest for the night and he sees a cave off in the distance. So he's headed towards this cave to rest for the night And then tomorrow he's going to start anew. And as he draws closer to the cave, he sees a flickering light from inside and a small candle. And as he gets closer, he looks in and he sees a bearded man and a young woman huddled closely together. And there was an infant sleeping there. And he can see that it was cold. And the man and the woman's cloaks, their, their coats... They had taken their coats off and wrapped up the little infant in their coats. 
And it says that then the woman trembled and Hafid saw that her, the woman's thin garment offered little protection, protection against the dampness of the cave. And for some reason at this time, he thought of Leisha and he struggled back and forth thinking, what should he do? And finally, he goes back to his animal and he unties the knots and he opens his pack and he withdraws the robe from the pack. And he looks down and he sees the mark of Pathros and the mark of Tola on the underside and the circle and the square and the star. And how many times had he held this robe in his tired arms in the past three days? And he closed his eyes and he sighed. And he walked swiftly toward the small family. He knelt on the straw beside the infant and gently removed first the father's tattered cloak and then the mother's from the manger. He handed each back to its owner. Both were too shocked at Hafid's boldness to react. And then Hafid opened his precious red robe and wrapped it gently around the sleeping child. Moisture from the young mother's kiss was still on Hafid's cheek as he led his animal out of the cave. Directly above him was the brightest star Hafid had ever seen. He stared up at it until his eyes filled with tears, and then he headed his animal through the path that led toward the main road back to Jerusalem and the caravan, caravan on the mountain. Now he's thinking to himself, why did he commit such a foolish act? He didn't know the people in the cave. Why didn't he attempt to sell the robe? What is he going to tell Pathos? And to just a strange baby in a cave? He searched his mind for a tale that he could deceive Pathros. Maybe he should say that the robe had been stolen from his animal while he, while he was in the dining hall. And all too soon he reached the path that led through the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sees Pathos, Pathros, and he's, and Pathros says, Have you come directly from Bethlehem? And he says, Yes, Master. Well, are you, Pathros says, Are you not alarmed that a star should follow you? I didn't notice, sire. Had not noticed? I've been able, unable to move from this spot since I first saw the star rise over Bethlehem nearly two hours ago. Never have I seen one with more color and brightness. Then as I watched, it began to move in the heavens and approach our caravan. Now that it is directly overhead, you appear, and by the gods, it moves no more. Did you participate in some extraordinary event while you were in Path in Bethlehem, Hafid? No, sire. And then Pathros looks down at his pack, and he sees that the pack is empty. And he says, it's empty. Success at last. Come, come, my lad. Come into the tent and tell me of your experiences. Since the gods have turned night into day, I cannot sleep. And perhaps your words will furnish some clue as to why a star should follow a camel boy. So they go into the tent and Hafid tells him the whole story of everything that happened. And by the end, Hafid was sobbing. And Pathros says to him, my son, this trip has not been of much profit to you. No, sire. But to me it has. The star which followed you has cured me of a blindness that I am reluctant to admit. I will explain this matter to you only after we return to Palmyra. Now I make a request of thee. Are you willing to return to your duties as a camel boy? for the present. And at this point, Hafid's realizing that, yeah, I totally blew it. And Hafid says, whatever you ask of me, sire, that I will do. 
and I am so sorry that I have failed you. Pathros pointed toward him and said, Sleep in peace, for you have not failed. The bright star remained above throughout the night. And two long weeks go by, and Pathros and Hafid are sitting together, and Pathros says to Hafid, Although I consider myself a good salesman, I am unable to um, to sell death from departing from my door. And coughing interrupts them, and... Pathros finally says, really weakly, Our time together is brief, so let's begin. First, remove this small cedar chest with which is beneath this bed. Pathros goes on to tell Hafid about a story. When, he was, when Pathros was younger, he was traveling on the road, and he met up with an old man who'd been robbed and beaten by two bandits. Bandits, robbers, and... Um, he, Pathros saved his life and rescued him. And since Pathros was, didn't have family or anybody, the man asked him to come home with him and he kind of accepted him as it has his own. And one day after he had been living with this man for a long time, this man introduced him to this chest that had these scrolls. And Pathros tells Hafid that he eventually memorized every word on every scroll and the, until they had become part of his thinking and his life. And he tells them that there was a letter inside that commanded him to always share half of whatever wealth he would acquire with others less fortunate, but that the leather scrolls were neither to be given nor shared with anyone until the day when I would be given, Pathros would be given a special sign that would tell me who was next chosen to receive these scrolls. And Pathros says, I've remained on watch for this person with a sign for many years, and I almost came to believe that that would never happen. And then my first inkling that you were the one to receive these scrolls was when you appeared and there was a bright star under you. And then when you told me that you gave up the robe that meant so much to you, something in my heart spoke and told me that the long search had ended. And strangely, as soon as I knew I had found the right one, my life's energy slowly began to drain away. So I now pass on this chest and its valuable contents to you, Hafid. And then he tells them there's a couple of conditions that come with getting these scrolls. The first condition is that you must swear under oath that you will follow the instruction con- instructions contained in the scroll marked 1. Do you agree? And Hafid says, yes, sire. And then he says, okay, and if you do this, you're going to be come wealthier than you could ever imagine. And then the second condition is that you must constantly dispose of half your earnings to lo- those less fortunate than you. There must be no deviation from this condition. Will you agree? Yes, sire. And now the most important condition of all, you are forbidden to share the scrolls or the wisdom they contain with anyone One day there will appear a person who will transmit to you a sign just as the star and your unselfish actions were the sign I sought. When this happens, you will recognize this sign, even though the person transmitting it may be ignorant that he is the chosen person. When your heart assures you that you are correct, you will pass over to him or her the chest and its contents, and when this is done, there will... um, 
There need be no conditions imposed on the receiver, such as were imposed on me, and which I now impose on you. The letter which I received so long ago commanded that the third person to receive the scrolls could share their message with the world if he so desires. Will you promise to carry out this condition? So Hafid agrees, and Pathro says, Go now and take the chest and depart, and I wish you the best of luck with your love, Leisha, and that I hope that you have happiness and joy in your future. And as Hafid pulls away with tears rolling down his his face, and he says to Pathros, Failure will never overtake me if my determination to succeed is strong enough. And the old man smiled faintly and nodded and raised his hand in farewell. And then Hafid leaves Pathros and he returns to the walled city of Damascus. And he sees all the sailors and the street merchants and everybody going and coming. And he starts to become fearful and he decides to to get an inn and he takes the small cedar chest and he puts the inn at the foot of the cot there and he looks at the scrolls and he starts to become really doubtful fear and doubt return and he looks at all the people out the window coming and going and he's like how foolish am I to think that I could do all of this how could I be so bold to think about this and think that I could do all of these things and he threw himself on the cot and he sobbed until he fell asleep and then he woke up in the morning and he and he looks at the scrolls again and he's pondering and thinking and he reaches inside and he noticed that one leather scroll was more worn than the rest and he took it out from the box and then the fear that he'd had was kind of gone and he reached down and he grabbed the scroll marked one and I hope you've liked this story And on our next podcast, we are going to look and see what are in the scrolls, the things that have made a difference for Pathros and Hafid and 36 million people all around the world today. So I hope you've liked this. I'm so excited for our next podcast. Please share the podcast with anybody that you know. Let's get the word out. We're up to over 500 um, visits and listeners or people that have listened to the podcast. So let's build that number and grow the podcast and share anything that we can with people to make their lives better and to find more happiness, more joy and more fulfillment in life. And until next time, I'll see you next week. Thanks everybody.